a lot of the issues that young people are coming to us with at the moment that are causing them distress are things around access to housing, access to student grants, things like that, that are really big deals in their lives. And the lack of those kind of things is causing the distress. Hello and welcome to another episode of HSE Talk in Health and Wellbeing. My name is Fergal Fox and today I'm speaking with Ian Power, CEO of Spun Out, the youth information website. Thank you so much, Ian, for coming on our podcast today. Um, unlike many of our guests, you're not as strange as the microphone. <laughs> Delighted to be here and really excited for the chat. But I, I'm hearing you now on the mainstream airwaves on, on radio as a like your position around and your work around being a youth advocate. You've been able to take that into other realms. Yeah, I think, you know, obviously over the last kind of five or six years, in particular, young people's issues have become more kind of to the fore, particularly during COVID. You know, a lot of people were concerned about young people and young people's health and well-being, which was great. So there was a lot of opportunity to kind of talk about what was going on for young people. And as well, just in terms of some of the services we've developed over the last few years, you know, we've developed more insights as to what's happening for young people. So we've been able to kind of share those and and use them to try and, and amplify those young voices to kind of improve services for young people and ask the government and state and other service providers to, to do better for young people. So that opportunity has been great. And it's been, yeah, it's been really fun kind of getting to, to chat about it. So in terms of like the word from our sponsors, like we <laughs> support your your work from the HSE perspective. And I know our partners in HSE Mental Health and NOSP are very much allies to your work, but also the Department of Children and Youth Affairs. Yeah, as it was known, Department of Children, Disability, Equality, Integration and Youth, as it is known now. Um, <laughs> Thanks for doing that. I'm going to take that one. <laughs> but yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, just going back to where we started, like Spun Out started up in Donegal back in 2005. And it was a group of young people who decided that, you know, they needed a source of information that was by young people for young people because they weren't getting access to the information that they needed in maybe more formal education settings. So things like mental health and sexual health, if you can cast your mind back to 2004 or 5, yeah, there wasn't. I, I think that that was a time when a website was seen as a solution for yeah. a lot of problems. <laughs> but yeah. like this was a gap in the market, wasn't it? A hundred percent. And it was seen as a solution by young people themselves, which was amazing. And it was supported through seed funding from HSE Northwest. We're always at the vanguard of most innovations. Yeah, uh, and my people like colleague Anne Sheridan, you were telling me before, I, I didn't realize she was a, a big ally at the outset. Yeah, hundred percent. Anne Sheridan and, and Janet Gaynor were kind of founding board members along with a load of other kind of really great folks and, and getting the the ball rolling. But actually what was interesting is that it took maybe another five or six years, if not even 10, before the true power of digital was actually realized, you know, by kind of the formal structures and systems. You know, it's really only in the last kind of 10 years, even five and six, where you can really see the, the advantages of digital for getting messages out there to young people around health and well-being and empowering them with information that they need that they're not getting in other places, you know. Yeah, I suppose the way that I was thinking about it is like the HSE and these other statutory partners like they need a nimble activator, don't they? A hundred percent. And I think that's, look, that's why we value the partnership that we have so much with not only HSC Health and Wellbeing, HSC Mental Health and National Office for Suicide Prevention and others is because, you know, we're able to respond really in real time to young people's needs and the things that they want us to do. So, you know, whether that's, if you think about social media, how much that changes so frequently. Do you know what I was so thinking the other day, actually, or just like in the run up to this one, the first time I met you, 
was at a, an association of health promotion AGM and you were presenting about Facebook. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and that must have been a long time ago. For a long time, yeah, and you were like, Facebook, it's unbelievable. Look at all this stuff. We can reach young people through Facebook. Yeah. And that was cutting edge. At the time, yeah. And like this website goes back to 2004 and you can see yeah. that it's had to kind of integrate the digital revolution. A hundred percent. Like, you know, we cycled through, then it was Instagram, then it was Snapchat. Now it's, you know, it's TikTok. TikTok. So, yeah. you know, that that is really important. And I guess kind of the biome people, forium people ethos is still true and, and lived in, in Spun Out because we have a group of young people around the country who engage in our action panels who tell us this is the information that we need and this is how we want to receive it and this is how we need to to hear about different things that we need to know about. And as well, like another part of, of what we do, obviously, is that we, we're amplifying young people's voices so that they're talking about the issues that they're experiencing, the things that are going on for them, and then we're able to help respond to that and hopefully help inform the wider health service as well about kind of the needs of young people so that that can help inform how services are provided to young people as well, you know? Yeah, absolutely. So you're trying to, I suppose, work with young people, as you said, and some of our audience may not be young people, but they're definitely people that are very concerned about youth health. You know, like the HSE isn't a youth organization, but we're very concerned about youth health and Mm -hmm. loads of our different pieces of work and priorities are trying to reach into the youth sector in the outer school or the education sector in third level. We're trying to influence health and wellbeing there. And that's, I suppose, you're trying to target that group as well through this website and all the different channels. Yeah. I mean, I think like what we're trying to do really is meet young people where they're at themselves. So, you know, we're we're kind of agnostic in, in terms of many of the things that young people go on to do with the information that that we provide or the services or support that we provide. It's mainly kind of meeting young people with that relevant intervention early so that we can hopefully prevent kind of harm. And we all know around risky behavior and things like that. And, you know, really what we're trying to do is be there in a very non-judgmental way for young people to be able to come ask the questions. I think a lot of us forget what it's like to be 16, 17, 18 and you know, completely be devoid of any perspective on some of these issues. You know, like, for example, we have lots of young people who will talk to us about how they will read about another young person's experience of anxiety or or panic. And, you know, they'll feel a sense of relief, even though that's something that they're experiencing. It's the relief that they're knowing that they're, this is something that I can understand now. This is something that I know what it is, as opposed to trying to figure it out for yourself by yourself. You know, that's such a major point. I I, I remember like my dad used to tell, he said it a couple of times that somebody said to him when he was young, like a neighbor said it to him, like a fellow who's just a few years older than him said, you know, whatever you're going through, somebody else has gone through it before. And, and he was like, it's just nearly like a safety net. Like, don't think you're going crazy here. Yeah. And for young people, that seems to be so crucial. So that acknowledgement piece or reading about someone else's experience is unbelievably powerful. A hundred percent. And particularly those that are maybe less common and, and, and thinking that, OK, really, I must be the only person going yeah. through this. Whereas, you know, we, we had Caitlin Grant, who was on our board for a long time. She's a member of the action panel. And, you know, she had come to us for the first time by reading another young person's experience of what she was going through. And she talks really eloquently about how impactful that was for her, because it not only does it lessen the impact of the loneliness or the isolation that you might experience about kind of going through something, but also it kind of 
gets you that first step on the journey towards finding help and, and getting further support for whatever it is that you're going through, you know? Yeah, acknowledgement is the major step, isn't it? Mm. So when you look at the content at the website, like from our point of view and our policy priority <laughs> programs and like we want information about the key topic areas, but yeah. it's so broad that the topics that you're covering. Yeah, I think like the the idea of Spun Out is that everything affects us. You know, everything has a, a, makes a contribution to how we're feeling and and our overall health and and mental well being and well being more broadly. So, kind of, we really do think of this as a holistic kind of service. And if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, a lot of the issues that young people are coming to us with at the moment that are causing them distress or things around access to housing, access to, to student grants, things like that, that are really big deals in their lives. And they're causing kind of the lack of those kind of things is causing the distress. It's So what we're trying to do really is helping people with those root causes in order to get them to the wherever it is that they need to be and to, to help them to be to be well overall. And then you know, I think there's a lot of medicalizing or pathologizing of distress as well that happens, you know, whereas lots of it's really normal. You know, lots of us kind of experience anxiousness from time to time. Lots of us experience stress. And then there are young people who are coming to us because those things are just debilitating and they're getting to a point where actually they're impacting their everyday life and they need some support around being able to manage those feelings. So really what we're trying to do is is understand all of that and and understand that young people are all in very different places and they all have very different needs and to be able to try to to respond to that in a really holistic way, you know. So in terms of like the information, what would be popular like in the last year that isn't nearly like a health topic that that is kind of one of those kind of social issues that young people are concerned or engaged about. Is yeah, it that housing issue that you mentioned. It is. It's housing. It's it's in interest in kind of social media's impact on your mental health, which is really interesting. You know, young people are one of the really top kind of pieces of content is what to do if your partner doesn't want to have sex. So like that's just a really practical relationship yeah. issue that I'm sure lots of people experience, but it's one of those things that you don't really know how to navigate yourself. So you come to, to us. What age group do you think you're speaking to? So our primary audience is the 16 to 25s. But what we've noticed is that because we've been around for so long, we, we now have a really strong secondary audience in the 26 to 34 category because they've grown up with us. Right. So just because they've turned 25 doesn't mean their need for information has diminished in any way. So actually, we're now 1634. We've got a huge wow. audience yeah, of people who are consuming all of these different types of information. And there's two different kind of ways that we look at it as well is that we get all the folks that come to us through Google because they're looking for something in the moment. They've got something in their lives that they need support with straight away. So they put it in and, and they come to us or we put it out on social media and then they come across it and realize, oh God, I actually need this piece of information and I didn't even realize it. Or it's kind of hitting them right in that moment where they need that insight. So we kind of get two different types of folks coming to us and we're and always you, trying do to... Do you feel like gain young people as followers, you're trying to get them on, onboard them, or are you trying to just like hit them when they need us? A bit of both. I mean, I think like w what a lot of organizations used to try to do and some still do is try to get young people to come to their website to get the information. They don't want to provide it, you know, too much. It's like the clickbait thing, you know, yeah. you want to get those those sweet, sweet clicks. But actually what we're trying to do is deprioritize that. If you want to come to the site, if you if you come through Google and you, you want to consume a fact sheet, great. But if you don't, we want to also provide the information where you are. So you'll see a lot more kind of Instagram carousels from us, TikTok videos, 
where we're giving the information in those platforms where young people are we're not trying to get young people to come to us we're trying to give it to them wherever they are but you're presenting and you're as a trusted source of information and 100%. somebody will be here when you need us. Yeah, exactly. And and that it, it's a kind of a source of support that people can turn to. We've just hired a, a new social media manager who is an influencer herself. She's a TikToker herself and she's... Oh, God help us. <laughs> you know, Molly's amazing and she's doing great work kind of in, in making our platforms that space where young people want to come and, and, you know, learn. And then also as well, as I say, kind of in that moment where you've got something that's really bugging you where it's something that's that's really on top of you that's maybe heavy or whatever that you can come to us as well in that moment and and that you know that we're there yeah so i I want to ask you about these channels that are kind of you know this ongoing like youth engagement and covid has fed in to youth health concerns and it's also fed in i guess to the the rise in time that young people are spending on their apps and their these Mm -hmm. these different channels and i know you're trying to get them get the young people through the channels. so that's kind of like the challenge. So back to when I first met you and you were talking about Facebook, you mentioned the Snapchat yep. and Instagram. Yep. They're major pieces still for you. So with Snapchat, for example, like, you know, that's more of a messaging app these days. They're not consuming as much content through kind of the stories as they used to, which is where we would be able to kind of advertise. It's kind of a little bit more Instagram, TikTok, really, these days. YouTube is a huge one being able to advertise on YouTube and also to put up those longer form videos. So what we find is really engaging for young people is other young people talking about their experience in video format, long form. So our head of multimedia, Jack, produces these gorgeous videos of of young people who are telling their story. They're kind of five or six minutes and young people are really consuming those till the end, you know, like because they want to kind of hear from people who are going through issues like they are as well, you know. Yeah, so. I've seen some of them on, on your TikTok channel and we've shared some of the, the mm. TikToks on our Twitter channel. I know we're not a young, we don't have a youth audience, but mm. it's trying to showcase your work. Like I, I think a lot of our listeners are more likely to be parents talking. It's still very important that they know what's going on, you know. A hundred percent. And like, you know, you're talking about social media there and the rights and wrongs of young people spending so much time and stuff. And so from our perspective, we just got to be where young people are and and we don't really make any judgment around that. We do help try to help young people understand the opportunity cost of spending too much time doing anything, you know, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and that, you know, really kind of what helps us to too much of anything is a bad thing. Yeah. And what, you know, that, that it's a really old message yeah. like moderation, but it is a good one. Like we're not really trying to to shove that down anyone's neck. We're kind of just saying like, yeah, if you do spend three hours on, on TikTok a day or whatever, we're going to be there with information and support as well, no matter what it is that you're doing, you know. And how have you seen youth engagement like what's your take on the the impact of covid on the time spent on those yeah i mean i think for has that, a, has that been like you know we get more clicks during covid because <laughs> people are, are feel like they're caged um all. i think what we found is so, so actually one of the really interesting things that we did with the department of children and youth affairs at the time uh, in june july 2020 was we went out and asked a few thousand young people how what their lived experience was at that time what did they need what was really impacting them and you know the the biggest impact that was being had was that inability to kind of socialize be with your friends you know they're really important message that came through from young people who were going to school and college was that they wanted to be in school and college. They didn't want to be living their lives through Isn't a screen. That, that, that has been so, I feel like, you know, that is that was so cruel, wasn't it? That, that those kids missed out. Maybe I was just looking at my own daughter, like she's leaving cert now. Yeah. But that transition year got ruined and 
and everybody, I suppose, got something ruined by them. But for the young people, there's so many, everything is new. Yeah, such formative years. And yeah. like, you don't really get the chance to do over, you know. So so there was definitely a really big sense of loss as well for, for young people as part of that. And look, that'll probably get processed over time. And, you know, we're probably experiencing some of that processing now in terms of how people are dealing with those feelings or maybe the, the kind of the impact that those things have had on them. But what was good at the time was that those voices were heard loud and clear by government, actually. So that consultation with young people was the reason why schools stayed open for the most part then thereafter. So after September 2020, like there was a real priority on keeping schools and colleges open where possible so that young people could stay connected. And that's the thing. Like, I think, you know, young people were spending more time online, but they didn't want to be, you yeah, know, yeah. they wanted to be in person with each other and and doing all the things that we always do. And then there's the issue around social anxiety. You know, obviously, when we were opening back up, that was um, an anxious moment for people. We saw that in our helpline. We saw young people reaching out to us about how they were feeling about that. You know, lots of young people really excited to get back together and, and to be socializing others, maybe who were needing that bit more support to kind of get ready for that and so now it's it's kind of it has returned to kind of what you would say is somewhat normal and you know young people really just want to be in person they want to be connecting together and that's what we hear like when we're trying to do our events and our meetings and things like that young people are always telling us in person is what we want to do maybe the online stuff is actually more accessible if you're from Donegal yeah. obviously it's easier to jump on a zoom on a Wednesday evening than travel to Dublin so there's a you know there's a benefit that's coming to that you know that young people are really maximizing yeah. you, you mentioned it really in passing near the start but like you played a key role in the middle of COVID like because people were very critical of young people for a while they were in scapegoated I think like somebody had to be out there stand up for young people and go wait a minute now it's too easy to say it's the youth of today that's yeah, I mean, that was that was really interesting because I think that, the, you know, young people were making huge sacrifices. Everybody was, of course, but but young people were making huge sacrifices for other generations to to keep them safe, you know, because the, obviously at the time and before vaccination and all that sort of thing, COVID was still risky, you know, for certain populations of young people. It wasn't, you know, long COVID is obviously an issue and very much a thing. So but in the broader sense, in the broad scheme of things, it wasn't that risky for young people and young people were recovering in the main. And so therefore, a lot of the measures that young people experienced, they did so kind of. And there was a huge amount of solidarity. I was I was amazed how much young people stayed with us, you know, yeah. for the kind of particularly the first year of it. And yeah, it was just it did feel very unfair that they were they were also getting whipped then for any minor transgressions of one, you know, group of people in one place, you know, and suddenly all young people were the, the enemy. And yeah, it was just it was a bit disheartening. So I think it was just really important that young people themselves and, and ourselves, people working with young people stood up and said, no, actually, like young people are making huge sacrifices here and they're being impacted. And, you know, we need to prioritize them when we come out of this. So I think hopefully we will see kind of that investment in youth services that, that we need to see. And thankfully, over the last kind of 18 months, we have seen greater support for young people off the back of it. I don't think it's been... A, a, a social dividend that has kind of been commensurate with the sacrifices they made but you know it's it's been something okay one of the things that like you one of our first webinars on men's health back in the throes of it back in 20 november 2020 for international men's day we had yeah. a men and mental health webinar back then and you came on and you had a video of a couple of young men talking about their experience it was so 
so powerful. But you also told us about the 50808 service. Yeah. You know, so how has that been going? Or do you want to tell us about that now? Yeah. So, you know, kind of it was just good timing, I guess, really, that we launched that service in the in June 2020 officially. And we had been working on it for a few years beforehand. So kind of just in the same way that we're always trying to, tar- you know, kind of support young people where they are, we realized that actually there's no real helpline for young people to go to that was the way that they wanted to communicate, which is by text. Often we were signposting young people to phone helplines and things like that, that, you know, we know young people don't pick up the phone for anything anymore. So is the, the text is just, is, it's safe, is it? Is that yeah, so, so the idea is that, is, is, so really kind of what we were seeing was lots of young people coming to our website late at night, kind yeah. of who were really in kind of crisis and we were signposting them to a helpline modality that just wasn't what they wanted or needed. And so we went about setting up the texting helpline. So it's 50808, it's a free 24-7 texting service for young people. It is there all hours of the day, we seem to be most busiest between kind of 9 p.m. and, and 3 or 4 a.m. in the morning when it's the first part of the day where maybe if the head hits the pillow and you're alone with kind of your thoughts and maybe there's no one else to kind of talk to. And we've got trained volunteers. So the volunteers are trained to listen, to kind of reflect what's going on for the young person. And a lot of the volunteers are young themselves and they know what the the issues are and what's going on. And young people really find that valuable because they talk to us about feeling heard for the first time truly, feeling validated in the feelings that they're experiencing. A lot of the time, you know, particularly if... if you Go know, back to that acknowledging thing again. Yeah, 100%. It, you know, and it's that piece around maybe you've talked to a parent or parent is wondering what's wrong and they're trying to fix the issue, whereas actually the young person, all they want to do is to be heard. They want to know that actually they're they're being listened to and that their feelings are not just being dismissed as being something. I'm sure every young person goes through that or, you know, I'm sure I went through that when you were when I was the same age as you and and things like that. That's not any use to, <laughs> to you at that moment. You want to just hear that, you know, what what you're feeling is completely valid. And it's understandable that you'd feel that way and, and you know, maybe kind of starting to think about how you might start to to move forward, you know. So really, that was, you know, the fact that we had done all the work to get that set up, you know, we, we got the... Pre-COVID. Yeah, we got the technology from the States, from an organization who runs a similar organization for, for the US and Canada and the UK. And we had done all the volunteer recruitment. We'd hired all the staff. So we launched it in the middle of June in in 2020. And it was just the perfect time because there was lots of people experiencing lots of different emotions and feelings at that time. And it was a a difficult time to, to get people support. Also, the thing is that volunteers are all volunteering from home as well. So obviously, when we were all locked down, the volunteers were still able to to support other young people that were going through those issues at that time. And they got a lot out of it, actually, particularly in that lockdown period. It felt like you were doing something. It felt like you were making a contribution to well, something as well. Yeah. You know? it's, it's, it's something that's coming up again and again, that volunteering piece, whether in your community or for something like that, like it it's, gives people a sense of purpose. It gives them another identity. Mm-hmm. And then obviously it has a health and well-being dividend. hundred percent. It's it's one of the five ways of well-being, isn't it? So, yeah, yeah. you know, contributing. So, yeah, no, absolutely. And like what we've seen then, obviously, we've been up and running there for over kind of three years. And what we've seen is is really interesting. And actually, the University of Galway did a study where they mapped the conversation volumes that we had and the kind of the issues that our texters were experiencing. About, yeah. yeah, they mapped that actually onto the, the ERSRI population surveys and they 
in, in terms of kind of people's anxiety and stress around lockdowns and all that sort of thing. And actually they map they map onto each other perfectly, which is really interesting in terms of young people who are reaching out, talking about how they were feeling, talking about that stress, that anxiety. And then crucially, like, I mean, the reason why we started the service is because we wanted to, to be a safety net. We knew that there was young people at night who were kind of alone and who were thinking, you know, who were in, in a really low place and who were thinking about suicide. And we really wanted it to be a space where we could be a safety net and catch some of those young people. We know we've got high youth suicide rates here in Ireland. We wanted to kind of create That's so important, yeah. a, a service that would address that. And one in five of the texters that we talk to are thinking about suicide. And so really our goal is to try and, and support those texters to keep themselves safe, particularly late at night until the following morning you know a lot of the in health those deep feelings can be transient uh, yeah Yeah. they can and they can be in that moment and and you know you think okay this is the the solution when really it's not and even though it can feel that way and one of the things that i think the helpline is really teaching us and i think we all we all know this in health and well-being is how important sleep is because it's really interesting that like at two or three in the morning a volunteer might be talking to a texter who's in a really dark place and then they get to a point with the, where the texter is saying, I'm actually a little bit sleepy now. I might go to, to sleep. And the volunteer is kind of saying, well, oh, geez, we're just getting somewhere here. This is brilliant. You know, so they get frustrated. But actually, it's the biggest compliment you can oh, get as a volunteer yeah, is yeah, that yeah. at peace enough to sleep. Exactly. And, and that they're safe, you know, yeah. so I, I think that's a really powerful. It's interesting, powerful actually, because way back, I thought it was a, a mad idea. Like when we were consulting about the Healthy Ireland framework in 2012, Somebody sitting beside me at the consultation said, we need a sleep strategy mm-hmm. because it's such a key thing. And it keeps coming up like it's one of the themes of the, the mental health literacy campaign we have now, sleep, for God's sake. And young people are so interested in sleep. We ran a campaign on sleep, just sleep on its own in like April 2015, which is eight years ago now. And it was the the biggest campaign we'd run in years. You know, the, d- the demand for that information was huge in terms of sleep hygiene, the impact poor sleep can have on you. And like now young people are so literate, you know, particularly young people are into their fitness and GAA and all that sort of thing or their sport or whatever, their rugby. Like young people really are understanding the importance of sleep and the the impact and the connection that it has not only on your physical health, but also on your mental health as well. And, you know, feelings of anxiousness, feelings of stress, how actually if you get enough sleep, it can address a lot of those those yeah, issues and protect yeah. you against from from some of those. Absolutely. Um, it's such issues. a protective factor to your resilience for everything, isn't it? Yeah. Overall, yeah. it's it's the silver bullet <laughs> in yeah, many ways. Yeah, you know, if yeah. we can if we can keep ourselves on a really good, solid sleep schedule and and good quality sleep as well, which is really important. A lot of the when we did that first campaign, a lot of young people didn't realize the impact screens can have, you know, on the quality of your sleep. So you might still be getting your seven or eight hours. You might be getting 10 or 11 hours, depending. But if you're doing things during the day that are going to impact on the quality of your sleep at night, that's not good either. So, so you know, it was really interesting, I think, that that there's such a demand for it. Yeah, and there's, there's more information on sleep, as I said, as part of that, because it's, it's a message we need for everybody. Um, and I think, like, no more than young people maybe more adults have lost their discipline around sleep, 100%. you know, with COVID yep. and, and different ways of working and all the rest of it. So it's definitely a message for everybody. So that was popular. Tell me more about like popular content, recent popular content that you that maybe surprised you or 
Yeah, I mean, I think like what we're really finding is is all that information around relationships. Young people are really interested in how to to have kind of really respectful you know, safe relationships. So consent has been coming up as a huge issue. That's been a trending issue, isn't it? Absolutely. And that issue around kind of toxic relationships as well. I think thanks to Women's Aid and other organizations we're talking about coercive control. You know, there's lots of young people who are recognizing that actually the way in which people conduct relationships is is really important. And that, you know, the respect that people show each other in relationships. And often you don't really necessarily pull back and analyze the relationship that you have so you, things can happen where you creep into patterns with your partner or the partner is treating you in a certain way and so we've really seen over the past kind of couple of years that young people recognizing those signs and you know we've recently run a red flags kind of campaign so what are those red flags in a relationship particularly when you're starting a relationship yeah. as well actually yeah, but I, I think like you're saying there that frame didn't exist mm. in Irish society. I didn't hear anybody. Yeah. You know, so just what you said there, I think is so interesting. Like people creep into those behaviors and then they, you know, they, they could see themselves or they could see a friend, you know, and like sometimes if we get in early, you just, like it's about checking yourself or checking what's going on. Like that red flag thing you mentioned. A hundred percent. And look, I mean, no relationship is perfect, right? So kind of what we do find is that kind of you're making an overall assessment, right? But if there are enough of those kind of red flags or issues, kind of it has been helpful in terms of taking stock of that relationship kind of overall. The other thing we're seeing as well is a lot of young people coming to us looking for support and help around managing self-harm as well. So we've seen that there is obviously an increase in kind of incidence of of self-harm at least, or at least that's what the numbers are telling us. But we're also kind of potentially seeing it as more people willing to talk about it and, and feeling open to, to talking about it as well. The other thing as well that's, that's really come up in the last few years is gambling. Right. And so, you know, particularly amongst younger uh, men, yeah. you know. The GA our, our healthy club initiative, keep it on the agenda all the time. And, and we're not driving it because yeah. it's not something that, that kind of we deliver on. But yeah. it's definitely something that's in every community. Absolutely. And and it's a really insidious thing because obviously the very nature of it, it's not, you know, when somebody is struggling with gambling, they're obviously not wanting to talk about that with everybody. And so really you have a lot of you know, people who are kind of suffering in silence with that issue and you know where it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger to the point at which sometimes they just can't cope and and things explode for them you know so that's that's really something that i think we really need to get a grip on and and from a public health perspective as well like gambling's everywhere like you know if you watch an mma fight on youtube you know you're guaranteed that the ads that are going to be served to you while you're watching that piece of content are going to be gambling related and that's just really problematic like just like alcohol advertising has been such a corrosive influence on kind of Irish society I think we really yeah, need to I don't think we down. see it you know like we had Dr Sheila Gilhini in on one of our episodes talk about how we don't even see how awash we are with alcohol advertising mm. but in relation to gambling I think we're even more potentially blind. more blind to that. Yeah. yeah, which is which is wild. And it's it's happening in those places that maybe not everybody sees as well. Do you know what I mean? So if you're on Twitch or if you're on, you know, YouTube or TikTok or wherever, you, you kind of all of these influences can be experienced by young people. But actually, maybe not everybody else is seeing that as well. So maybe that's why there's not as much action being taken. But certainly kind of gambling is just such a huge issue. And what's interesting as well is that gambling is 
there's no benefit to it whatsoever. You know what I mean? Like if you're talking about all, any of the other kind of public health issues, you could argue, you know, in terms of alcohol, you're going out, you're having a good time maybe or whatever, you know, you could argue that. With gambling, there's 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 no real reason why we should be supporting it in any way, shape or form. So anyway, it's just, it, it's it's coming to us as one of those issues that... And, and how does that come to you now? So it, it's, you know, young people coming to us looking for that information right, around right. how to stop or okay. how to how to deal with the issue that they're going through, often how to support, you know, somebody else in their life who's kind of experiencing difficulties with gambling, but also through to the helpline as well. We, we right, get yeah, people yeah. texting us who are talking to us about those issues. People at the end of their tether with this. Yeah. All right. That's great. And have you been able to kind of get the youth voice through yeah. to talk about you know their experience and yeah. the same way that you do with the other issues we did yeah we, we did a campaign a, a few years ago where we had really importantly young men and like so thankful to them because they came forward and kind of shared their stories about it which isn't something that you know people are always willing to do you know so so coming forward talking about it demystifying it destigmatizing it so that other young men can feel the confidence to kind of come forward and talk about it and realize that actually even though you you know may be in a very bad place with something that actually can always get better you know it's it's not kind of it's not that that's just the way it's going to be forever or that's that there's no way out you know there's always people who want to kind of support and there is support available to people to to kind of get out of that space and, and like the you know the sooner you kind of take that first step the better you're going to feel overall you know yeah in terms like you mentioned young men there and gambling do you find some issues are very gender heavy yeah what's interesting is that perhaps that kind of is is changing now as well. So, you know, you would have kind of always said that kind of body image issues and things like that, you'd always maybe associate them with young women. And actually, you know, that's becoming an issue where it's being experienced by just as many young men almost. And, you know, we see that coming through now, this kind of idea that you need to have a six pack in order to be able to go on a sun holiday and all that sort of thing, you know, so there's yeah. huge pressures there for for young people. So, there are certain issues that are more gendered, but I think those lines are becoming a little bit more blurred as well, you know. And then the whole issue of gender. Yeah. I know there's a lot of strong views, but like it's definitely something that's trending as well, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, there's there's obviously, you know, gender identity and people coming to terms with their, their yeah. gender, which is really important. And like, again, that's that's a way of you can't really fully feel well or be, you know, you can't talk about health and well-being until somebody is actually truly in a place where they feel like themselves. And, you know, obviously, if you're coming to terms with your gender or if you're kind of coming to terms with your sexuality, all of those things play into our identities and and what have you. The other part about gender as well is that, you know, we have all of these influences. You know, Clearly, young men really are looking for kind of to find their way in life you know they're trying to find their purpose they're trying to find their way in what is a rapidly shifting kind of society and things are no longer as easy for us men as maybe they once were and so societal structures and things have changed and so it is more difficult maybe to find your place in the world as a younger man and then you know we have people like you know 
I won't necessarily name names, but we have people out there who are preying on that vulnerability in younger and gathering men. gathering huge audience. And gathering huge audiences, talking, trying to hark back to a world that doesn't exist anymore and trying to assert kind of a male dominance or, you know, a gendered dominance. That's just really archaic and, and stupid. And unfortunately, kind of, you know, that that's something that is filling a void for people and and people are... Yeah, I, think, I think we've spoken that. about this a few times uh, offline, if you like, yeah. because uh, it keeps coming up that, you know, the way that we need to promote a healthy masculinity that yeah. that's, has an equality and diversity lens yeah. to it. Because yeah. maybe there's not enough of that. Yeah. And I think like for me, the I think what we're trying to do is help people feel good. And if your kind of way of feeling good is to the detriment of somebody yes. else, then that's short lived. That's not sustainable. That's not going to be something that's going to be helpful to you in the longer run. And so, that's a nice simple way of putting it. So, really, kind of healthy masculinity is people being in touch with their emotions, people actually expressing them, people feeling that they can lean into that part of their identity. That you know that they have a purpose in the world. That it's not always about kind of these old outdated views of what a man is you know whatever a man is is whatever it is you want to be kind yeah. of you know and freeing people up to kind of feel themselves because ultimately that's how people are going to feel well whereas i think some of the kind of the toxic masculinity narrative is is kind of yes it's it's maybe connecting you into a community but ultimately is that community what's going to be something that's going to give you something that you're going to feel good about and ultimately and it won't help you get into a healthy relationship yeah exactly and you know or if you are in a in a relationship that it, it may end up going awry because you know kind of the way that you're treating somebody else isn't going to necessarily be the way that they want to be treated so yeah i i think it's just so problematic and und- and and like everything else you know like alcohol or drugs and and all of these ways that people turn to for dealing with their emotions we have to get ahead of it and and help people before they kind of go to a place where they are entrenched in it yeah and and where maybe they feel like this is the only place i'm getting something that responds yeah. to me you know and, and isn't think, that the insidious piece that, that, that they if they get an identity out of it or it's, yeah it's it's feeding into their status yeah that they find it harder to let go and it's it's really important that if those gaps are exist in kind of in society that we need to fill them with those healthier options before before other things take hold or before other things become the the thing that people use to to kind of feel better you know yeah no i think it has to be a part of the revolution like we've seen the me too and the pro women and the pro girl movement needs to have boys and men have a kind of an active part but it has to be in a kind of practical way yeah i mean i think you know the 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 thing about the whole issue i think is that men who have been perpetrating violence against women and, you know, sexual violence. We need to stop that, first of all. And it's not every man, obviously, and all that sort of thing before people say not all men. It's not everybody, but but as, as a gender, like that is something that we're responsible for and we need to create those conditions. You know, we, we can't put up with stuff in WhatsApp groups. We have to kind of call things out where we see it in order, first of all, for, for women and girls to not be subjected to that violence. But then also, like, that's not doing us any favors either in terms of how we're feeling, in terms of what our experience is as men. So we need to address that for ourselves in the second instance. I think in the first instance, it's it's to stop the, the impact that it's having on women and girls. 
the Men's Development Network, one of their kind of lines is healthy lives for men and healthy lives for all. You know mm. that it's not like if you do it well, it's for everybody. Yeah, right? like, you, like your like your point there. Like if 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 you're health and well and you're feeling good, at the detriment of somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a lovely simple way of looking at it. So let's come back. Uh, we've we've gone around, uh, <laughs> meandered around a bit, but um, I want to take you back to the way that you, you know develop information with your youth panel or action panel, is that what you call it? Yeah. So they've been central and that's like central to your core purpose and your identity. And I've seen those young people in your content. So how, how do you support them? Yeah, so they we recruit kind of every year for for the action panel, and the idea is that they're with us for kind of two or three years, and and so there's kind of constantly new kind of ideas and energy coming in, but there's also folks that have been with us and experienced, and the idea is that they meet all around the country where they're based, but then they also kind of come to to Dublin to meet together as a national town hall and action panel. And the idea is to kind of understand what's going on for young people in their lives. So we've lots of data. We can see what they're searching for on Google. We can tell what they're interested in on TikTok. But what is it meaning in real terms for young people? And so the action panels really help us to understand that and give us that direction. The other piece as well is that like every piece of information that we publish, every fact sheet, it's been produced by ourselves. And uh, but it's been subject matter proofed by an expert two experts. But then crucially, rather than just publish that, two of the young people from the action panel or from our volunteers review that piece of content and they youth proof it to make sure that it's understandable, that it's accessible, that it's relevant to their lives. And that's really, really important. And I think that's why the platform has been so successful and has such a huge reach because the information isn't in any way judgmental. It's not full of jargon that you can't understand. It's very straightforward and it's hopefully, you know, meeting the needs of what your very young people are at. Yeah. So you're making it real through the, the yeah. young people. Yeah. yeah. No, I think that's great. I saw Emma Finn's post on uh, LinkedIn there recently where she's after coming down from the board as yeah. she's involved or she's a head of internal communications. Yeah. But she was glowing in terms of your work and she's got her own parents involved in volunteering. So volunteering is something that's really important. Absolutely. Like, I mean, we couldn't function without people volunteering, you know, so whether that's the people like Emma, who are amazing and give so much time on our board, helping to kind of steer the overall organization. And there's two action panel members who are part of the board as well to make sure that that it is youth led, whether that's it's the young people involved in the action panel or a youth briefing or creating content, peer content, lived experience content, or whether it's the volunteers kind of staffing the 24 seven helpline. You know, to be honest, like without all of that contribution, like we wouldn't be able to do what we do. And it wouldn't be not only that you could potentially get, you know, pay people to do all of those things, but it wouldn't be as good. You know, it just wouldn't have the same effect or energy or authenticity, which I think is is just so important to to what it is that we're trying to achieve. Okay, so Lucas, I really appreciate your time today. I know we we've, we've gone on for a bit longer than we planned. But thank you so much for your time and input. And thanks to all the listeners for tuning in. If people want to know more about Spunout, the website. Yeah, so spunout.ie. And uh, if you're looking to access the helpline as well, it's text 50808.ie. Great. So thanks for listening to another episode of HSE Talking Health and Wellbeing. <laughs>